people are better editors than they are creators. If you sit back and you allow your prospects to drive the process, you will lose and you will spend way more time and you will end up paying them for your time, right? If you go to your prospect with what they need and what the process looks like, they're gonna follow you. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Wesley, jumping to wits. In the house, man. What's That's going awesome. on? It's good, man. I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's been a long time. I know, you know, I talked about Memory Blue a ton. Obviously, you know, Joe going on the team. I think one of the biggest things that I was excited to get on here was just I love talking about being an SDR, to be honest. You do. All right. We're going to get into it. Oh, Chris, he's ready to go into it. It's exciting. Chris, say what's up to Wesley. Wes, good seeing you again. Good seeing you, Chris. Thanks for uh, flying not only the memory blue flag, but the Robinson Secondary School flag out in Denver <laughs> for us. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I've actually, I've met a couple of people that I went to high school with out here and I never knew them after like after high school or like in high school. In your grade? Just younger than me. Big probably. school, man. Big school. And this is, I feel like Denver is like Northern Virginia 2.0. It's kind of weird. Yeah. A lot of people from Northern Virginia are out here. So, Dude, this place is awesome. Chris says I have the opportunity to come out as much as we'd like. When I come out here, I'm like, man, I can, I can see myself here. Yeah. But I, like, I'm a fan. I have to go to Robinson two or three times a week. Really? My kid plays soccer there. I'll drive down 123 and I'll hop my horn and Chris can hear me from his house. He's really? like, what are you doing? It's 10 o'clock tonight. I'm driving back from Robinson. Everybody, <laughs> that's only the past six months. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you. Let's get into it. All right. You're, just to kind of set the stage, you were with us. You started in May of 2014 up through November 2015. So it's been a little while. Yeah, it's been a long time. Which is so, just to kind of give the listeners and Chris and I some perspective, that, that, that was quite a while ago. But I think it's testament to you who you are as a person, you know, our relationship is we stay in touch, you know. Yeah. We can see each other as much like both who's busy. For sure. That, I don't I think I think it's kind of rare uh, a lot of times. Totally. I mean, times. I you know, I, I think it speaks for itself what this like company what you guys were able to, to offer and you know, how I attached to like this profession essentially. Yeah, so, man. Yeah, it's been great. So why don't you just drop it, start off? Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, where you grew up and hit on, where you, where you grew up, kind of what you like as a kid. Oh, it's good to kind of uh, get to know you. Yeah. So I was a little bit of a military grad at it. I didn't move it around a ton, but I was originally from Bamboo, North Carolina, and oh. moved up to, uh, to Northern Virginia, went to Robinson, played a little baseball there, got to, got to go play some college ball as well. So, so let's talk about that. We'll come back. What were you like as a kid then? Oh man. Some kids, people were working, some people in sports, some people were doing schoolwork. So I was doing, I was doing a little bit of both. Okay. Honestly, school was not my, my favorite thing, but to be honest, I loved, I loved playing baseball. I worked a lot as a kid. What position did you play? I played second base. Okay. Um, I, you know, I actually loved to, to catch honestly, but you know, as I got older, it was uh, apparent that I was not the biggest kid on the team. So they didn't really want me back there as a small target. The Dustin Pedroia of is yeah, yeah, and uh, Javier Lopez too. I actually met uh, Javier uh, in the, like 2007. That's what he wanted. Yeah, what happened to you? Go. How come? Oh, uh, dude, where, I, where's I, the talent photo? Man, we can get into that. I I tried going into like, the minor league. That was that's tough. That's you and you know 350 other people trying to do the same thing. And yeah, 
it wears on you after, you know, a couple months and you have no money, nothing coming in. So you're like, Hey, look, I gotta get out of here. But, but you were in high school playing sports and you said you were working too or something? Yeah, yeah, that- yeah. So, I mean, I was just trying to work as much as I could. I always liked, you know, just having my own cash. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, my father was definitely kind of that old school guy. who was like, Hey, like, yeah, you got to go get a job when you're 15, right? Like, I remember gotta, this. Yep. Yeah. You, you got to go like just earn your own responsibilities, right? Like figure your own life out type of thing. Yeah. I, my dad wasn't hard on me by any chance, but I think he just kind of pushed me to to be independent there, especially as an only child. I think it was just for me to get out in the world, do my own thing. So it's interesting, right? Because life can be more hard on you than like parents can totally. do to you. Totally. So he didn't have to be hard on you because he was pushing you to get out there to let life take its cuts so late yeah and i think it was like it was good for me to get out there early like kind of that workforce just understand that you know hey if you keep your head down you work hard right like you learn and, and kind of take those experiences for, for what they're worth like you know it, it all works out i mean I'm, I'm in a great position now i love where i'm at now yep. and you know I, I think it's kind of like a snowball effect of yep you know where you went you know, yep before. so R- real quick on that of those gigs what what was one of those early jobs that you kind of find most memorable oh man most memorable i would actually say working in my uncle's car garage so okay in a little little mini shop like a couple miles from this house in fredericksburg so okay. i drive down there every weekend like work in the shop doing minor tune-ups something too crazy you know working with random clients and then i also lifeguarded for a while where in burke right in burke yeah. Where? Right off of Roberts Road in I can't remember. Burke Center proper? No, it was, it was, I mean, it was two minutes from Robinson, right off of okay. Roberts. Uh, is that Braddock? Yeah. One country like, club estates. It's, doesn't matter. It doesn't I don't matter. know. I don't yeah. know what the pool name was called, but I was there for, for a while, probably for, you know, until I went to college, essentially. I have to remember that. Yeah. 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 That was a great job. I mean, I got a little tan, made some money, didn't yeah. have to work too hard, but no, it was a good gig. All right. So, so baseball. Sports in college, yep. that was a reality for you. It was, it was. I got really lucky. I didn't get highly recruited coming out of high school, but I wanted to play. You know, it was just something that like, I didn't, I didn't really want to give that up. I, I felt like I you know, had a lot to offer. So I got accepted to Longwood University. I went down there, I walked on. And I ended up getting a scholarship at the end of my freshman year. So you did. I was able to play all four years, yeah. How'd you get that? Honestly, I, I just told the coach, I said, Hey, like, I want to play for you guys. Like, I don't care what that means. If I, you know, have to just stay as a walk on, you know, if I get a partial scholarship. And it's kind of surprised, like, at the end of the year, they were like, Hey, we have another opening for a scholarship that we're, you know, going to give away and we're offered to you. So I got really lucky on that. It felt great. Honestly, it, 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 it didn't feel like a reality. And, and it almost was a an aha moment for me in terms of like things can come and go very, very quickly. And I think that was kind of like my first, like, well, my first time really feeling I had complete control over what I could, could do and like, you know, what could come my way. So it's one of those things where I, I knew, I, you know, this is an opportunity that I didn't want to let that go. So I just kept grinding, right? And I think that, that really kind of turned me into, I don't know, the person I am today and I don't know the person I came into to memory blue as, right? Like, I'm sure we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah. Chris, you like how Wes says, I was really lucky. He said, I was really lucky. I got the scholarship talking about i mean i guess the timing is porch timing is everything for sure but like they're not they don't give those things out at that level no because because you know this guy had the right five numbers totally and, and i think when i say lucky I, I think this has grown on me as yes. i've gone through my sales career luck isn't given or like it's not this like magical thing 
you create your own luck. It, mm-hmm. It's it's almost like a, a privilege that you end up earning. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there you go. But yeah, I think like you're right. Luck is something that is like a byproduct or put of what you do on the input side, right? Yep. So you're um, playing ball. What'd you major in? Ball. I majored in criminal justice and chemistry. Okay. At the time, I was like, maybe I go into like forensic science that I ended up graduating with a bachelor's degree in science. I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, maybe I don't want to go into law enforcement, mm-hmm. right? Like very rigid. I didn't really like being super like, oh, you know, militants essentially, right? Hey, you got to do X, Y, and Z. You know, not to say that I wouldn't follow orders or like, you know, follow any rules, but it just, it didn't seem like the life to me. I mean, I didn't go to the military because I didn't want to do that, right? Like yep. My, my father was also like, I don't think you're going to go in the military, so probably don't do that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I kind of came out of school not really knowing what I wanted to do. And that's kind of where I got into canvassing. Yes. PC. Yes. Uh, when you were at the pool, you worked your way up the food chain. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Man, you kind of act like you're sitting in the chair, but you're managing people. Yeah, I started managing a couple of lifeguards. I actually started managing a couple of pools. So uh-huh. I was like, Going around, it, obviously making sure that like doing their job. Yeah, trains are running on time. Trains but, are running on time. Yeah. So, so you got out of school, and then how'd you get into canvassing? Yeah. So one of our friends, she started working for this nonprofit, and again, I was fresh out of college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, why not? Like, I'll go, you know, give it a shot. Corporate world. I'll try to just kind of get my you know toes wet in terms of hey, I, I've worked for this company or whatever it was. And at the time, like you kind of think like, oh, nonprofit, like maybe I'm doing something good as well. Like, hey, make myself feel good. That company was probably a little shady in terms of like how they delivered their cash or whatever. But it was a really good experience. I mean, I was canvassing on the street of DC, right? So like iPad in hand, had to stop people who will go into work, right? These are some of the like most affluent slash like hardworking people walking through the middle of DC, having to stop them and pretty much have them like adopt a child in another country to put them to school, get them supplies, whatever it was. Right. So, you know, I, it, it was crazy to one, get them to sign up for that, but two, to have them stick with it, not just churn off as soon as they paid you a dollar or whatever it was. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it, that was a crazy time in my life and it was worth it. I mean, I, I think it just made me realize that like, yeah, hard work will, will get you to a lot of places and I don't think there's anything harder in my life that I've ever done than canvassing and trying to stop people on the street. We interviewed, right? When you started with us, me, I, oh, yeah. I remember this and I remember what Chris and I probably talked about it. We might have interviewed other people. I was like, Chris, this guy would stop people dead cold stone in the streets of DC and get them to sign up. Oh yeah. Yeah, on a subscription based. For you did it for a while. I did that for nine months. That's a while. It is a long time. Like nine months. Honestly, I did it because one, again, I thought I was doing something good and like kind of felt good, right? Like helping kids out. But two, like the guy that I was working under was making an certain amount of money on on doing that. I was like, this is crazy that like you're he's making like ninety k, almost a hundred. At the time coming out of college, it was like hundred k is like that's lush. Yes. That's a lot of caps, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I stuck it out and then Jess will never let me live this down. My fiance will never let yes. me live this down. She found Shout out to Jess. She found the opening for memory blow. And she was like, if you can, if you can talk to people on the street, like you can go be a BDR, you can go talk to people on the phone and like get into like technology. Like you should go do that. That's kind of where 
just Ford found Carter. Elvis thing. I think I, yeah, she, I mean, she reminds me all the time. She's like, you're where you're at. Mate. I get it. The woman behind the quest. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I had, do you remember that when you came to the interview? Do you even know what a BDR was though? No. To like, be honest, like when, when she first told me about it, I, I mean, you know, I, I think one of the things I really like to do is understand and like really do the research on like companies or like, you know, what I'm going into a conversation about. Right. I was, I was like, yeah, I don't really know what this is, but I started reading about it and I was like, oh yeah, like this is very similar, but like I'm actually selling solutions or like technology or working with like these bigger technology companies that like, you know, open me up to a new world, right? A, a new profession, essentially. I remember having the interview with you. I remember having the interview with Ben Dukowski as my first manager. Oh, oh, I gotta give me time to edit a lot. I have to do Chris's job. Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember Nimit was actually probably one of my uh, one of my interviews as well. Okay. So yeah, I, I remember that day very vividly. Tell us about the job. What your early days? Oh, getting in there very first day. I remember Ben saying like, "Hey, you know, these are going to be your accounts, right?" Like, you know, I think the first thing he wanted me to do was starting to understand the contacts I was going after, doing some training just around like you know cold call scripts. And honestly, all I remember was I want to get on the phone. Cause I heard everyone around me literally talking on the phone. And I was like, how do I, how do I start doing that? I was like, what am I doing here? And I think like one, the training that I got from memory blue, honestly, I think there's, there's two parts of my life where I'm like, I've never had the same training in my life. One memory blue training in terms of like being able to cold call and like essentially going to school as, as being an SDR. And then also here at data dog, like two very different trainings, but very impactful, right? And I, I went to a company after Memory Blue that where I didn't have any training. That it, it was very like new sales organization, and there wasn't really a lot of growth in terms of like my profession or like my sales career. But the biggest types of growth for me were definitely obviously Memory Blue, being able to get in there, understand like how to talk to engineers, how to talk to people, how to really work with like you know other AEs, understand the sales cycle of technology, and then obviously and data dog as well. Um, yeah. But, my biggest kind of life-changing, I don't know, schooling, if you will. Yes. Well, besides that, and just find the job. <laughs> and then just, right. yeah, obviously, just find the job. Where did it get to that? So when you were in SCR, let's talk a little bit more about your SCR journey, but I'm really excited to talk about the path from where you are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Chris is too. What, um, just talk to us about the, the, what you remember about being an SCR. What did you learn? What you got good at? Oh, man. I think what I learned was just refining being able to talk to people on the phone, right? I mean, you have like 10, 15 seconds to, to catch someone, you know, get them to agree to a meeting. And I, it was like, it was very exhilarating. It was super exciting, but you got rejected a lot. The rejection didn't, didn't bother me. It was more about like, okay, what am I doing that isn't getting people to accept or like want to talk to me? And I think that kind of drove me to just get better at, you know, my talk track getting better at understanding the business that I was going after. It also kind of taught me to manage accounts, honestly. I mean, I, when I first started with Memory Blue, I had a couple yeah, meeting or accounts I was working and I was mm -hmm. working some of you software. Yes. Uh, that was kind of my first exposure of working with AEs that have gone through a full sales cycle. And then obviously moving over to MarkLogic, mm -hmm. like working with that and just getting exposure to bigger and broader AE teams. So I think, you know, one, it, obviously taught me to be a, a great cold caller and someone mm -hmm. that was pretty fearless and like, yeah, 
time you'd be creative on the phone or your outreach in terms of your email, right? And, and getting prospecting, but managing accounts and, and honestly, just getting exposure to those AEs was huge. Working with your AEs very closely, they want to work with you. I mean, you're an extension of their business, right? So like understanding how they're going through that sales cycle, kind of get you that leg up of, you know, wherever you go next to become an AE or, you know, wherever that takes you, like that AE jobs can be very easy because you already have that understanding of what a sales cycle looks like. If you haven't made a sale, but you know, it's very transparent. Very. I remember Corbin, I think I, I remember you being a Sunview and for whatever reason, I campaigned the client. We got the, what they did. They departed, parted as friends. And I remember Mark Logic coming up and I was like, dude, this guy's crushed this. And like, that's exactly how the business is in some ways designed to work, right? We get you or totally. go-getter, competitive athlete, right? Also understand money and the value it can bring. Hold it. And we got you in off the canvassing. And I didn't remember asking, is this guy crazy for doing this canvassing job? But like, it's such a great skill set. Then you came in, did a good job for a client. And we put you on a client where you just knocked, you know, baseball intended, knocked out of the park. And you were on Mark Logic for a while. I was, yeah. I was on Mark Logic probably for six months or so. Who else were you on that with? Frank Taylor was on there. MT3? Yeah, Frank Taylor. Who else was on that team? I remember Mike. I don't remember Mike's last name. Yeah. To be honest. Oh yeah. I, I I know who we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy, the Massachusetts guy. Yeah. Mike Caney. Caney. Yeah. Caney, yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Man, there was also one really memorable person. I I don't know why I can't remember his name. I think he went to work for Blackboard or something like that afterwards. Yep. yep. Yeah. We had we had a we had a very close close squad. James Holt. No, that's right. Okay. He is uh, right. I I've kept in touch with Jay over the yeah. years. He's yeah. You know, he that guy. I think. Looking at Jay, Jay was almost an inspiration for a lot of us watching him climb the ladder so quickly. Yeah, I more mean, experience. You guys, right? Did yeah, he come in? Like, yeah, but he, he was like, go-getter. I mean, he went he from, more from being an SDR to an AE immediately. And then from an AE is, I think he's now like, he might be a director of, get on the podcast. of an enterprise. Yeah, he's, uh, he's killer. And so you were working with some like-minded individuals, right? What did you think you wanted to do? As you kind of got in, you like, oh, I want to be an AE. Oh, like, sure. And why? For sure. I, I think honestly, like watching and learning from like the AEs I was working with at Mark Logic. One, I don't know, call me egotistical, but I was like, I could do this. Like this guy can do this and he's not even calling. He's not even doing the job that I'm doing. I can certainly do his job. I can certainly run a sales cycle to say, hey, I have a solution. You have a problem. Let's try to solve that together, right? Can we solve a problem that, that, you know, is worth solving for you? And that was kind of like my motivation to say, like, where can I like go to do this on my own, right? Like I, in, obviously I can be an SDR. I can prospect my own business. I really want to take that next step and challenge myself in terms of, can I close that business? Yep. And again, I think just seeing these AEs and knowing that like, that was kind of the next step. Like I wanted to be better than the AEs I was working with, right? They gave me a lot of insight. I thought they were great mentors at the time, but it was almost one of those things where like, I'm ready to surpass my mentors, right? Like I want to get above them at some point. It's great, man. Coach put me in, yeah. At any point, honestly, yeah, I think we talk about it more and more now as a, as a manager, but trying to get away of, of being comfortable, right? Like if you're in a comfortable position, you're probably not doing either one very well. The business may not be doing like, you know, very well at that point. If you're super comfortable, like you know, if you're not pushing yourself, you're not going to grow, right? I think that comes from like a coachability standpoint as well. Like if you're wanting to grow, if you're wanting to learn, you're wanting to be a coach. 
Yeah, that's so, right. It's kind of my mindset there. So, you know what? I remember too about West Chris, which is a test. I want you to elaborate on this a little bit. You did. You you put the time it too. Oh yeah, yeah. So I and this this is. I mean, even when I left Memory Blue of AE, even at Data Dog as well. Like, I knew that one. First of all, if I could get paid for for being high on activity, why wouldn't I do that? Like, I'm not going to allow Frank. I love Frank. I'm not going to allow Frank to outwork me, right? I wasn't going to allow Gene to outwork me. I just, I think that was kind of where like the baseball and like just, you know, the, the independence early was like, I'm not going to allow someone to outwork me because I know I can outwork them and I, I'm going to make money because of it, right? That was a big motivation for me. But even moving into the AEC, I always found that, you know, why wouldn't you want to get the, the volume out there? Why wouldn't you want to work hard to get your business where it is, right? Like, Again, I think it goes back to being comfortable. If you're comfortable with your business being like coming to you, that, that you're not gonna you're not gonna succeed, right? Like you gotta go get your own business, create your own luck essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about timing, timing's everything with one of our, you know, our accounts, right? So, you know, being able to create that that timing or that luck for yourself is the only way that you're gonna be able to, you know, succeed in in sales, my belief. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sales manager at a tech company. So yeah, that, that's a pretty applicable belief. All right. So, but how did you make the transition? Like, I, I remember you, did you and I sit down? Like what? what how yeah. Did... So I think uh, I, at the time I was probably right at my 18 months. Mm-hmm. Months, Chris. 18 months. I didn't want to leave. I just love, I love being on the phone with that. Love crushing, crushing the, uh, the activity there too. That but experience is so valuable though. It's very Doing valuable. Doing it that long, people get a little anxious and impatient and they take the first thing and oh yeah you know but having that experience gives you so much perspective and honestly skill. It, it, it it's one of those things where you'll never forget it like you'll never forget to be an sdr and i think that's something that a lot of aes and a, a lot of people who you know maybe you know for good reason why they're jumping from from job to job they forget about like how to be an sdr they mm-hmm. forget about like the work they have put in to create business to create pipeline so I'm, I'm just, I'm not in that position to let someone else decide like what my success or what my business is like. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd rather continue that SDR work, right? Yeah. I, months, you're 18 on. months. Yeah. So you and I sat down, you brought NetTutive to me at the time they were called NetTutive. They were yep. an on-premise and then moving into the cloud monitor, which I'm still in today, obviously in Datadog, we call it observability now. What's called? Observability. Observability. Okay. Yep. Um, so I, yeah, I started talking to Bob Farzami, who's yep. the CEO at Netuitive. I started at Netuitive February. We kind of outplaced you there. You had it some might, options, right? Yeah. But we were like, hey, this guy's a baller. It may have been, it may have been November of 2015. Yeah. November or December of 2015 is where I started there. Yeah. If you're competitive, driven, and curious, it's time to consider a professional sales opportunity that your future self will thank you for. With an unmatched training program and a tradition of elevating our people, Memory Blue has helped hundreds of successful professionals launch lucrative tech sales careers. You will grow highly marketable skills through ongoing mentorship from seasoned sales leaders while showcasing your abilities for tech industry royalty and some of the hottest startups around. And you'll do it all surrounded by driven, like-minded colleagues immersed in our award-winning company culture. As your tenure progresses, you will attract a host of career options. 
This includes moving up internally or venturing out into the tech industry, where tech companies pay a premium for Memory Blue experience. We have immediate openings in our offices from coast to coast. Visit memoryblue.com SDR and apply today. So we started there, started as an AE there. The company was doing pretty well. And then they made the transition. They said, hey, we're going to you know, go all in on the cloud. We're going to go all in on AWS monitoring. So they did a rebrand. They moved from Datutive to Metrically. We got brand new investors. The company cut itself in half. So it was me and an AE team of seven or eight, I think. We got to stay on board and you know, really kind of take that, that startup to you know, where we hopefully wanted to, to go public someday or, you know, get bought out by a company like AWS, right? So I was at Metrically for just around 2017, 2018 is when I decided, hey, like, you know, I really like this space, but I think I could, I can go to a better company, right? I can go to a company that's going to allow me to up-level my, you know, my career, right, in, in sales. And that's why I moved out to Denver. I moved out to Denver in 2017. I worked for, about for that company for two years may 2019 is when i got a call of my now senior director from datadog and i started interviewing with datadog and the experience i had from netuitive to eventually was obviously very transferable into what datadog was doing because we came up against datadog in every single one of our deals and i started the bit market seat for, for datadog then well yeah as, yeah as an ae as they yeah mid-market so for for us i live i lead a mid-market team now we deal with 1,000 to 5,000 employees. At the time, it was 2,000 to 5,000 employees. Done some some changing of accounts and territories. But yeah, we deal with any company from 1,000 employees to, to 5,000. So I was the second AE out here in Denver. Wes, uh, for the listeners, um, it'd be helpful if you could share what it's like selling for a company that may not be very well known versus one that has some market share and kind of the differences between the two because you've done both. Totally. Yeah. So honestly, I will say even now, and, and I think there's a, there's a big turn happening within the industry, within the market, especially within observability. When you think about like observability, it's, it's kind of saturated by a lot of these huge legacy companies. You think about like Splunk, you think about SolarWinds, you think about like AppDynamics, who owns by, who's owned by Cisco, right? Like very old legacy, you know, technologies. And I still think today with Datadog, you say Datadog to some some of these companies that we're going after. I mean, you know, we're dealing with Delta Dental, we're dealing with Pacific Lives, right? Some of the biggest insurance and, and financial institutes out there. They don't know who Datadog is. And it still kind of blows my mind, even though, you know, we're the th- third best company in the world, essentially, when it comes to technology, right? And we're only continuing to grow at a, at a pretty amazing clip. But yeah, I will say, I think that's kind of where like the SDR work really comes into play, right? Getting really creative on like, one, knowing the business that you're going after, right? The persona that you're going after, the company that you're going after, right? And really driving the urgency and the pain of why they should be talking to you. If you're just going in there cold, right? Essentially making a cold call, you're going to fail, right? But if you're going in there with the mindset of, hey, I know your business, I know the problems and the challenges that you may be facing because of X, Y, and Z initiatives. Here's how I can solve that problem for you. Is it worth solving for you? Should we be having a conversation? And that's kind of where, like, again, like, you know, people may not know your name, but if you're talking about something relevant to, to them and their business, they're going to care about it, right? People love talking about themselves. 
people love even more talking about the people that they, that they manage, right? The teams that they manage, the companies that they manage, like that's their baby. If you say something about their company, their team, they're going to listen. They're going to say, oh, what, what are you talking about my team about, right? Like, how, how do you know about our initiatives? How do you know about something that I'm driving, right? So that's kind of where like you had to get creative. People didn't really know us at Metric, but they, you know, they responded very well to AWS monitoring, right? Because the cloud was blowing up and similar with Datadog. I mean, people didn't really know who Datadog was when I started in that space. You know, dealing with some of these larger enterprise companies that are, you know, four or 5,000 employees. They're, you know, using some of these older technologies. They're moving to the cloud, making that transition. So they don't really know who Datadog is either. Obviously going public with Datadog and, you know, gaining a lot more market share to your, to your point in terms of the enterprise, right? People are starting to understand that we are making a huge, huge impact into the, the industry and, and a huge disruptor when it comes to these older legacy tools. There's a bunch of places to go on from that, I think. But let's, let's talk real quick about just a couple things. The people like to hear this. How did you, I want to focus on this actually, Chris, so it'll get a lot of sales managers. We have people who are progressing their career alums, but we don't have as people reach where you are, right? So you're managing a team now. I do. Yeah. I manage a team of six AEs. Six AEs. Cohen, one of them. Shout out. Joey Cohen. Oh, I get it for Joey. Joey Cohen was graceful enough, gracious enough to come in here and do a fireside chat last time I was here. Yeah, it's awesome. Be right. He's a superb hire. Tip my cap to that, Wesley. How, so when did you know, so you were an AE and Metrically for like three and a half years. Yeah. Plus or minus a couple months. And then you came to Datadog. How did they know to call you, by the way? Were you going head to head to the deals? Like, I don't yeah, know right. about that. Okay. Yeah, so I Make actually. for yourself? Yeah, I, uh, you know, again, I, I came up against Datadog in every single one of my deals. I took a, a pretty large account from, uh, from Datadog at oh. one point. <laughs> And I actually had the AE from Datadog reach out to me and like, talk to me about like, Hey, like, you know, how did you end up doing that? Just from like one post postmortem postmortem. Yeah. Uh, and it was crazy because his mom was on the board of this company. Oh, so it was like, it was like, he was the shoe in to win that business. That was like, that's tough. But, um, Dude, so that's I, the ultimate bitch slap right there, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> damn. Yeah, that one would hurt. Right. So I, uh, I actually started, uh, Dude, how's that help? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you you want to talk well, about signature wins? Yeah, smaller but, smaller company stole the business. Who's for the rep? Whose mom is on the board? Tough, tough, tough for the guy. He was uh, so when I started <laughs> when I started you know, like he was probably one of the first people I met because he came right to me and was like, "Good, can I have your autograph?" Yeah, he's like, "I don't know if you remember," and I was like, "Oh, my Christmas." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he still there? He, I don't think he is. Okay, actually. Matter, I think he's right. moved on. But I started networking within the the area. Honestly, at that time, Metrically was like in this weird position to where they were changing their their model. They were moving away from monitoring and observability, and they were moving more towards like cloud costs. So they were going after the cloud health of the world, and and essentially taking revenue away from the potential of, of the AEs. Right. So like instead of doing this subscription model. Now companies can essentially just turn the solution on, look at their, you know, AWS or cloud cost, and then turn it off, right? So there wasn't a lot of growth in terms of where this company was going. It was very much like people don't need us to turn something on or turn something off. And, and now I have no control over being able to upsell or sell more of a product. So it was, it was a weird transition to me. It didn't really feel right. Didn't really, 
I wanted to stay in like the monitoring space because we touched so many different technologies. I mean, I was working, and especially now at Datadog, I work with so many different technology companies and like partners and just like the sheer breadth of like technologies I got to learn. And Datadog has been huge. So I kind of took that as like a, I don't know, more of a, hey, maybe there's something out there that I could go do. And, and I saw that Datadog was hiring and in Denver, they were building a commercial team and a marketing team. And I hit up, I hit up a bunch of recruiters out there. And that's when my senior director hit me up. I and see. Started yeah. having conversations. I mean, I think what this is a lesson, great corporate is like, Wes is just so engaged in the profession and his job, right? It's clear. Listen, you talk about it. Yeah, I'm very passionate about it, to be honest with you. I just will, just will always say like, you're, you're way too into your work. And I, I don't think it's one of those things where like, I don't want to be around the people I love or like, you know, but my friends or anything like that. I just truly love being in the space. I mean, I think it's super exciting. It's, you get to meet a lot of different people. And I mean, you just, the growth is so quick in terms of like what you're doing and, and what you can't be doing. It's just, you don't really get that anywhere else. Like, yeah, I, I mean, unless you're again, like a super athlete or like you're climbing Mount Everest or something like that, like you don't really get that type of growth, especially from like a mind perspective anywhere else. Well said. If you don't care, you're going to lose to someone who cares more than you do. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And that happens all the time, right? Like I, I honestly think a lot of deals that we get into my, my directors, my VPs would be like, is, is the other rep just like sleeping from the other company? And I'm like, dude, who knows? Don't care. Right. Like, don't care. Know, like I will, I will honestly always keep in touch and ask like the hard questions and like want to, I think one thing that is, has kept me really wanting to, to be in the space. My mentor, my previous manager told me people are better editors than they are creators. People should repeat that. People are better editors than they are creators. What so that if you sit back and you allow your prospects to drive the process, you will lose and you will spend way more time and you will end up paying them for your time, right? If you go to your prospect with what they need and what the process looks like, they're going to follow you. And they may say, hey, can we tweak this a little bit? Now it becomes a collaborative sell, right? Now you become more of a consultant for them. I guarantee you there's no one in our space and the reps, different companies are not doing that. They're thinking, hey, you have a project. It's your project. You tell me how I'm going to help you. And they just sit back and wait. And if you're going to do that, you're going to waste nine months and you you may lose business, right? So now you just paid them nine months out of your time. So I'd rather be ahead of the game. I'd rather bring them what they need to get something done and tell them, hey, this is how the process works. They follow it. They follow it. Close business. They don't follow it. Hey, you're not my champion. You're not my guy. I'm going to move on. Not worth my time. Protect your time. Absolutely. All right. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're obviously a successful rep, but let's talk about when did you decide you wanted to go to management? Yeah. How so did that occur? Cause so you were a rep for almost three years. Yeah. Data dog. So I was a rep for two, yeah, two and a half years, essentially. Yeah. I got promoted from an AE to a senior AE and I was kind of in this position where it was either going to the enterprise AE role, which, you know, definitely not out of the question for me, but essentially I didn't want to leave the mid-market space, right? And, and I'm, I'm a very collaborative person. I love helping out my team. I love like seeing other people succeed. I also love just driving sales cycles and, and driving business and trying to kind of just rub off on other people, essentially, mm -hmm. you know, what I can provide. Cause I feel like that's kind of what like, you know, 
memory blue did to me, data dog did to me, right? I, I want to be able to recipient that. So I decided, hey, you know what? Like I want to be in this space. I really like the the companies that I'm working with. This is very much an enterprise notion. I honestly believe that the mid-market's not a stepping stone to enterprise. It's a destination where people should really put their time into and, and we're seeing and, and reaping the benefits of it now. And that's going to continue to grow. So, you know, I, I wanted to just say, Hey, look, I would love to be a mentor to people. I'd love to keep, you know, take on more responsibilities. And that's kind of where my director said, Hey, like we're going to grow you know, more teams. Like is leadership something you want to do? And I kind of jumped at the opportunity to say like, yeah, you know, it's not something that I've ever done. I've never managed people before. I've managed sales cycles, obviously forecasting, right, is a huge part of that. But again, new challenge, something that was a little uncomfortable for me because I didn't, I've never had to, you know, teach someone or have someone report to me, right? So now I have a lot more responsibility on my plate and it's, it's been an amazing experience so far. What, what do you look for in an AE? That, now, that, now that you, you, uh, yeah, that, that's what people want to know the most, but I got questions you about learning how to be a manager. Just t- tell us about that. Down a team of six. Totally. You know. Honestly, I'm looking for, and I think like the buzzwords, right, are like coachability, grit, right? I think for me, it's that will, right? Like I'm talking to you about your career and what you've done. If I'm not hearing that you have that drive to to go prospect, to go make those cold calls, to actually be an SDR, I honestly like, that's that gut feeling of, hey, you, you may not be the best fit, right? Like we're an outbound shop. Uh, and we're, you know, you're never going to get like these easy wins, which sometimes you do, right? Sometimes you get this sure. inbound, but if you don't have that will to drive your own business, it's going to be a very, very hard road for you. And, you know, that's kind of where like, I don't think you can really teach will. I mean, the only time that, you know, I've had issues with AEs not having that will is like, you, you just continuously scream at the scoreboard and like, they're never just, they're just never going to, if you have someone who has that will. The coachability is very easy, right? They're they're wanting to learn how to how to get better. They're wanting to learn how to become more efficient. They're wanting to learn how to drive processes, right? Like nobody wants to be an SDR forever, and they want their business to be seamless and easy. But you have to start with that with that will to go out and find your own business before that. Yeah. Well, tell me, go into what do you mean screaming at the scoreboard as a manager? Yeah, I think more like activity, right? I think as you get older in your sales career, right? I think that's kind of the you know, the, the taboo thing of like, you know, these enterprise AEs don't do any PG and, and it's kind of quite the opposite. So PG for us is pipeline generation, PG. So it's, it's something that, you know, I, I think every company's drives, but I'm not really sure if it's really thought about too, too often. I mean, look, your, your business can't be successful unless you have pipeline, right? You can't drive business unless you have opportunity. So. PG is the most important part of our day to day. If you're not closing business, you better have a really, really high PG quarter. You better have a huge pipeline going into the next, the next quarter. That's really what drives our business. I think our win rate right now as an organization for, for the mid market is 33, 34%. So <clears throat> what does that mean? That, that, that just means, you know, 34% of the, the opportunities that we open, they close, right? Yeah. So, you know, play the numbers game, right? The, the more opportunities you have, the more successful that you're going to be, right? If you don't have opportunities, if you're not hitting the KPIs of, I think for us, it's about nine ops a quarter to open up. Nine ops at like 60, 60K MRR is our KPIs. If you're not hitting those, right, you're going to be hard pressed to, to hit your number and hit your quota. You know, and that's just, that's something that we drive all the time. 
Most of the time, if you have really high PG, if you have really high pipeline, you're going to close a lot of business. That's mm -hmm. just the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a numbers game mm -hmm. through and through. And, you know, again, I think PG creating your own luck. Mm -hmm. right? You guys tell us about, tell, tell the audience and Chris about PG Wednesday. Yeah. So we have, we have something called PG Wednesday for our teams and really for our market. So obviously you should be PGing all the time, right? There's not one day where you're not reaching out to prospects, right? Pushing and progressing opportunities forward. But, you know, sometimes like your, your calendar and you get, you know, you get lost in those opportunities, right? Like you get kind of tunnel vision on, Hey, how do I, how do I drive the business that I have? And you kind of forget about like, okay, after I close this business, do I have pipeline for the next, next quarter? Right? So we dedicate an entire day to PG we dedicate, you know, to only outreach, right? So there's no meetings on PG Wednesday. If you have a meeting and you throw a meeting on the calendar with a prospect, it's got to get approved by me. It's got to get approved by our director, our senior director to be able to have that meeting on, on PG Wednesday. And it's, you know, it's, you're hard pressed to get that approved, to be honest with you. If it's a closing call or it's a pivotal call to close something before the end of the, the month, the quarter, maybe, but, you know, Hey, though, honestly, those customers can wait, right? If, if you're doing your job and you're driving that process the entire time, they can wait. What can't wait is PG, right? If you, if you allow PG to slip, you're going to be in the hole, right? You're going to be trying to climb out of that hole. Yeah. That's all. I plan generation Wednesday. That's what you should be doing all day. All day. Yep. Yeah. And what is it? What, that's like, that's why you said at the beginning of your love with being an SDR. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for us, that looks like probably an average of 80 to a hundred touches per AE. I think right now we're averaging two or three discovery calls booked during that time per AE. Yeah. You know, sometimes we get lucky and we, we open up ops on that day too, right? Yeah. Like guys, you know, they're in the call, they're trying to book a, a discovery meeting and suddenly the guy goes, Hey, I actually have a project, right? Like, you know, this is our scope. This is what we need to do. And we open up the you know, opportunities, but you know, really what I'm driving with my team there is this focusing on the inputs, right? Again, like success will come if you create that mm -hmm. success, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, can't close business. If you don't have business to close. So super important that, you know, we're driving that. And honestly, it's, it's not what you see on that day, but the work that you put in that day is going to it's going to come around, right? Whether it's next week, maybe the next day, somebody gets back to you, whatever it is, but it's you know proven to just be a huge day for us where AEs the next you know, week, they're having, you know, six, seven discovery calls just based off that one day. So it's been a huge success for us. That's a great habit. Yeah. Wes, is that something that you installed or was that installed by uh, other other members of the data team. I, I think it was it was more of collective right across our team. So we have we have three four teams four teams on the east two teams in Denver here to support the west, and then we have three teams in the Mia. And that's kind of where like again for me, our team was setting the bar in terms of and that's kind of where like our directors were like, hey guys, like you know clearly there's a correlation between activity and like how we build <laughs> pipeline, right? Like it's not. You know, if you, it's the you, beauty of it. Yeah. If you can be that AE to where like you're a sniper, you know, every call that you make becomes a discovery call. Amazing. I don't know one salesperson that can do that all the time. Right. So not even Joey Cohen. Yeah. Yeah. Not even Joey Cohen. So high activity has always been the thing. And obviously it correlates, you know, very, very well to creating pipelines. So that's kind of where, you know, we said, Hey guys, like understanding that we have a lot of opportunities coming our way. And we find that. 
lot of people are stuck in those opportunities. They close business that, that quarter, the next quarter, they don't have pipeline, right? So that's kind of where we wanted to implement the fact of really focusing again on those inputs and, and knowing that the success or the outputs, right, of, of opportunities, of closed business, that will come your way as long as you, you do, you know, the work that's necessary. So it's more of a collaborative thing to where, hey, you know, let's dedicate one day to this so we can make sure that we're making the best use of our time. It's easy to manage. It's easy to be part of that. Yes, schedules around it. Oh, yeah. More people are being together in the office, too. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's a great, I mean, especially being able to come back to the office, we get the entire teams. We have, you know, 12 AEs hitting the phone. It's like, essentially, it's very similar culture to here, right? Cool. It's very, very collaborative. It's awesome. We're turning around. We're talking about, like, our conversations. We're talking about, you know, the, the, the companies that we're talking to, we're sharing messaging. It's, it's awesome to see. It's very high energy. And I can't, I can't help it, but get all the phones with them. I had a, an AE that was out in paternity leave for, you know, four months or whatever it was. And I had 40 accounts sitting there in his territory. And I said, you know what? I, I got to open some business here. I, I can't just watch these accounts. You know, like I can't just let them sit there. So I, uh, or, I you know, I throw out spits all the time. Like, Hey, whoever can book more meetings than me gets a hundred bucks. Right. Or I'll take you out to dinner. I think I only give that out once. That was going to be great. Chris, we got to let Wes go. Do you got any closing questions you want to ask? I, I might have one, but I'll let you go. We'll pick yours. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who wants to become an AE? You know, they're, they're just getting started. They're an SDR. They're just starting as an SDR, but they have aspirations to be in an AE. Yeah, I've said this word or this phrase multiple times. Focus on the inputs, focus on, on the work, focus on being an SDR, being the best SDR that you can like having conversations outside of cold calls, very easy, very easy. That's probably the first advice that I, you know, I, I would give to anyone who wants to become an AE, become the best SDR that you can be. The second piece of that I, I think is really just know the business that you're, you're going after, right? Make sure that you understand the hypothesis of why they should be talking to you. Create value, right? Create that urgency. If, if you're going to somebody with just generic messaging outreach, they're never going to listen to you. I mean, you know, try calling one of you guys, right? And talking about something that doesn't matter to your business. You don't care. You're not going to talk to that person, right? So I think obviously like doing the research at hand, understanding the business, being able to create a hypothesis of why they should be talking to you and continuing to grind, right? Continuing to, to hit the phones, have high activity, have high volume, right? Like, What's the worst thing that happens if you have high volume, right? You, you get more people to talk to, like you get more at bats. You learn. Yeah. I don't see the, the downside of doing more activity. Excellent. Very good. Wes, thanks for joining us. It took us a while to get this on the calendar, but this is awesome. Yeah. I love doing this. It's great to have you here. Yeah. We'll probably have you back because you're, you're, you got a lot, you have a lot to share. I, I hope so. You know, hopefully. I, I do love sharing the story. I am very passionate about just sales in general, especially in the, the technology space. But I think it's a, it's a very, it's an interesting space, right? Like everyone has a different motion. Everyone has a different idea of how to sell. And, and it's super intriguing to watch people go one way or the other. And honestly, either battle them or take away like what they're doing to, to create, you know, your own sales or cycle, right? So. Yeah, I, I love this base lab. I love talking to you guys. It's awesome. Student of the game. Student of the game, Chris. Always, always. All right. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have to sell against you, man. I don't want I don't want you like taking uh you know, having my mom or whatever. 
Oh, like you'll love this. Actually, I had a deal last quarter where uh, we had one of the engineers, like my director said, hey, you're going to be working with Wes. And this was like one of my like first accounts I got as a manager. And I you know, was trying to figure out my territory. So I was taking on like some accounts and doing like the whole sales cycle. And this random manager, like uh, engineer just goes, yeah, I know Wes. I'm like, I've worked with him before. I have no idea who this guy was. I was like, I don't think we've ever worked before together. But he had come from a company that I had just done a like 11 or 12 month sales cycle with. And I like, you know, was working with probably 40 different engineers on that call. And he was a part of that team. And he was like, yeah, I heard your name probably like every single day for six months when we were trying to implement data on it. God, like that's kind of crazy to think about. Like, and again, that's kind of where, like, I tell my AEs, like, if they don't know your name or don't know Datadog, someone's going to say no to you. Someone's going to say, no, 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 like, shut it down. I have a better connection. Like, and I guarantee you, other AEs aren't doing that to where they're going out and finding other people in other departments or like, you know, creating what we call that groundswell, which I thought was like pretty amazing. I was like, dude, that's ridiculous that you remember my name after a year so pretty cool to be in that space it's very honestly tech sales is very small when you think about like the people that you work with and i'm finding that now like i've had a ton of engineers move from one company to another and you know i continue to work with them so definitely keep you know continue to network could be another piece too right like yeah always stay close to, to the people you sell to or even if you you know even if you have a, a sale that fails right or drops or doesn't you know doesn't close, right? Like those people are going to be your biggest advocates, you know, at some point in your life. So that's right. It just goes to show you that uh, people are watching every move you make. Yeah, every time. All right, Wes, this has been great. This is awesome. I appreciate you guys having me in here. This is awesome that you guys have that office out here too. I know. It too. We were a little behind the curve, right? You set the stage for us. You moved out here. We had to like catch up a little bit. That's <laughs> a great office. There's a lot of great people. We live in Denver already. Oh, yeah. In Colorado, a lot of great people who have been here, continue to move here. Oh, yeah. So it's great to find some of those folks and help them get their life going okay. out here and then get their career really established. Totally. So we just got to find more of them and kind of get them to listen to these podcasts and take some of this advice and, and grind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time. This is awesome. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep. If your sales team struggles to hit quota or generate qualified leads, Memory Blues Academy Prospecting Principles Training Program is the solution. Great sales training is time-intensive and requires continuous guidance from sales experts. In this six-week course, our world-class facilitators use a hands-on learning approach to turn raw talent into industry-leading salespeople. From building targeted outreach lists to strategically overcoming objections, the key prospecting skills taught here create the foundation for strong sales performance. Our proven training cuts SDR ramp time in half and increases quota attainment by 89%. New cohorts launch twice per month. Head to memoryblue.com slash academy to see upcoming dates and secure your seat today.